Tēnā koutou no mai, haere mai. Welcome to Q&A, I'm Jack Tame. And in case you've been under a log all day, hallelujah, the haircuts and human contact, we're going to level two. The upshot is that in 10 days time, we will have reopened most businesses in New Zealand and sooner than many other countries around the world. Tonight, we'll hear from those Kiwi businesses chomping at the bit to get started. So this afternoon, my team and I were just so super excited to know that we're going to be moving to Alert Level 2 to hear from clients and to be in touch and start to you know, connect with people again. Yes, here are the key points from today's decision. We will move to Level 2 on Thursday. All businesses can operate except for bars, which will have to wait another week before they can reopen. Schools will open for all students from the start of next week. Social gatherings are allowed for up to 10 people and domestic travel is permitted, but with physical distancing rules in place. This time next week, hundreds of thousands of Kiwi kids will be tucked up in bed after their first proper day back at school. But there are still some concerns about the safety of students and teachers and the impact the coronavirus disruption has had on our kids' learning. A short time ago, I asked Education Minister Chris Hipkins what will happen for kids whose parents are too worried to send them back to school. Look, it is going to take a wee while for us to regain the trust of parents. I think parents have been very, very cautious. They've been keeping their kids home, keeping their kids safe. Um, they've kind of gotten into the groove of doing that, and I think that there will be a period of time where parents are a little reluctant. My message to parents, though, is that we wouldn't be moving to Level 2 if we thought that that was going to put our people at undue risk. So we're moving to Level 2 because we're confident that the risk of COVID-19 are coming through the school gate, um, or through the gate of the early learning service or the gate of the tertiary education institution uh, is very, very low in the first place. So therefore, uh, they're safe places for uh, learners to be. There are some staff who will share those concerns, staff who are perhaps older or have respiratory conditions and don't want to attend school just yet. Will you continue paying them? I think uh, for anybody who's in that higher risk category, um, if they're a staff member or if they're a learner themselves, you know, if you're a mm. parent and you've got a child who's got higher health needs that might put them at greater risk, talk to your school about that first. There are some public health measures that can be put in place to help protect those people. Uh, but ultimately, uh, if teachers do need to continue to work from home um, because of those higher health needs um, and because of, of risk to them, uh, then we'll support them to do that. And in some cases, they'll be able to support the other, the kids who are staying home because of their health needs, uh, they'll be able to support them uh, through distance learning. But if, if teachers are staying at home and there are no online classes for them to be running, do they need to take sick leave if they're not turning up at schools and teaching? No, we, we are working very closely with schools where those sorts of situations mm. arise, uh, including potentially providing additional funding for relief teachers if that's what's needed to ensure that schools can continue to operate smoothly. So uh, the Ministry of Education is in close contact with schools uh, to make sure that we can manage any of those sorts of situations. Are you expecting kids to physically distance? 
Uh, look, physical distancing is one of the most heated topics uh, in schools and particularly in early learning services. We don't expect physical distancing in an early learning service. I think asking kids under the age of five to be doing that is asking a bit much of them. Uh, in primary schools, what we're saying is if you can stay away from the, the warm breath zone um, of the people around you, then that's certainly going to be a good precautionary measure. We've got to be realistic though. Again, in primary schools, that's going to be more difficult than, say, in secondary schools. So we are saying that, you know, within a school, um, do what is reasonable, um, but it's not always going to be possible to maintain physical distancing um, in a school environment. And the advice that we've had from the Ministry of Health um, is that if the schools continue to do the other things that we're asking them to do, um, then the risk there remains very, very low. Are the school term dates and holidays going to remain as scheduled for the rest of this year? Certainly at this point we haven't got any further plans to change school term dates. Um, I think by the time everybody gets to the end of term two, which is the term that we're in now, I think everybody will definitely deserve a break. I'm aware that a lot of teachers worked uh, overtime during the last school holidays in order to get ready um, to support kids to learn from home when term two started again. So mm -hmm. I think people will start to feel a bit burnt out if we keep shifting the term dates around. So I think everybody's going to need a break by the time we get to the end of term. So I'd be very, very reluctant to make further adjustments to school term dates. It's interesting, isn't it? Because kids are, are actually very resilient, generally speaking. But are you, are you worried about teacher burnout this term? Oh, look, I think everybody's been working incredibly hard. It's been a stressful situation. It's been mm. very stressful across the country. This is a very stressful time for the country. Um, and I think, you know, we're doing our best to be able to supply that extra support for teachers, um, supplying them with extra curriculum resources and, and things like that. But I do want to acknowledge it's been a stressful time for them and they've worked really, really hard. And I think it's a reflection of their commitment to young New Zealanders um, that they've managed to get our whole school system and our whole mm. early learning system up and running on you know, through distance learning at very, very short notice. What will you do for kids who need some catching up? Uh, look, there are a variety of ways that we can do catch-up. Obviously, for kids who are earlier on in their education, uh, this is but a blip in time. Um, but for kids who are doing NCEA, for example, they may need a bit of additional support to catch-up. There's a lot of flexibility within NCEA um, to you know, allow schools to do mm. those sorts of things. But we're always looking at where we might be able to do a bit more. Um, I'm awaiting for some further advice from NZQA on whether there are more things we can do in that space, uh, particularly around the kids who are doing NCEA, because it's high stakes for them, um, and particularly the ones who are leaving this year, we want to make sure that they're leaving with the best qualification they can possibly be leaving with. I know NZQA is reflecting on its response to the Christchurch earthquakes. Back then, for students who were sitting in NCEA who were affected by the earthquakes, they offered what was called a credit inclusion, which effectively means kids who just missed out on university entrance were given a pass. Is that the sort of thing that you might consider this year? So that's one of the things that I'm waiting for some further advice from NZQA mm. on. They've been looking at a whole range of options for how we can support kids uh, with their NCEA. We've got to make sure that we preserve the credibility of the qualification so we don't want to be seen to be lowering standards for one cohort of students. But there are some things that we can do whilst preserving the, the credibility and the standing of our qualification to make sure that we're supporting young people coming out the other end of the school system if they have been disadvantaged because of the situation around 
around COVID-19. Through the wage subsidy scheme, the government spent almost $9 million supporting private schools that have lost international student income. State schools, of course, cannot claim the wage subsidy, but will you support state schools to maintain international programs until they can receive students again? Look, there is going to be a bit of a bumpy ride for some of those state schools that had high concentrations of international students, and I acknowledge that. Um, and I'm working through with the Ministry of Education what some additional support for those schools might look like. Um, it's difficult. You know, we, we don't want to see New Zealand taxpayer funding going into subsidising uh, non-existent education for international students. Um, and so we have to work mm. through a, a myriad of quite complex issues there. But I do acknowledge, though, um, that there are some schools that are feeling the pinch. When we went into the COVID lockdown, the vast majority of international school students who were due to come to New Zealand had already arrived in New Zealand for this year, for this um, for the school year. Um, and uh, I don't have good reliable data at this point on how many of them may have gone home. But certainly by next year, um, we'll feel a, a, that, that squeeze much, much more because uh, some of the students who go home mm -hmm. at the end of the year uh, won't be replaced by other students coming back next year. So we're working through a whole variety of different scenarios there. I do acknowledge that for uh, for some schools, particularly some of the higher decile schools who don't who don't get as much government funding, um, that actually international students have been a, a really important source of revenue for them. What about at the tertiary level? International students uh, are a five billion dollar industry in New Zealand. Will you look at giving those students some sort of a special treatment? So, for example, could we open our borders to international students but still require them to undergo quarantine? Well, one of the things that the government will be looking at is uh, what can we do at the border that preserves the public health measures that we've got in place that keeps New Zealanders safe, whilst allowing some parts of our economy that rely on people mm -hmm. coming through the border to get back up and running. And international education is one of the classic examples here. It may well be possible to build a two-week quarantine, uh, which is the quarantine we've currently got at the border, mm -hmm. into an international education programme. And so um, the, the proposals that the sector to put forward to us earlier in the year before we went into lockdown, which we did consider, uh, were a fairly, uh, were a looser type of quarantine arrangement based on the self-isolation principle we were working to right. at that time. Now we're at much more the hard quarantine end. So we'll work with the sector to see whether we can generate some kind of arrangement there that would work for international education. Best case scenario, Minister, when might that be in place? Uh, look, I think it would be very ambitious to have that in place uh, in time for the second uh, semester this year. I think it's more likely to be for the beginning of next year. Um, but we'll work very closely with the sector. Obviously, we'd like to get that up and running as, as quickly as we can. Mm -hmm. But there's a whole lot of things to work through, including, uh, you know, we, we don't want to see a significant amount of our public health response here in New Zealand diverted into that um, when, when the people doing it are, are very, very focused on keeping New Zealanders safe at this point. Let's turn our attention to this week's budget. Will the fees-free policy continue? Uh, the fees-free policy that we've implemented uh, so far to date um, will certainly be continuing. Um, we've always been very clear as a government we haven't made decisions as a government uh, mm. beyond the first year, and you'll, uh, you'll see a bit more about the decisions we've made in that direction uh, in the budget statement from the Minister of Finance on Thursday. Are there any uh, projects that you had committed to in the education space that you will no longer uh, be able to meet, given the extraordinary fiscal circumstances we face? 
No, I think um, so some projects are even being brought forward. So if you look at uh, issues in, in school building and construction and infrastructure and so on, actually the, the faster we can bring forward some of that spending, the better, because that helps to stimulate the economy mm. and keep people in work. So we're looking at opportunities where uh, spending in education can actually help the, the wider economy. Um, there may be some rephasing of some of the, the projects. You know, some timetables uh, uh, might be readjusted. That's not just because of funding, though. That's also because uh, we've got a, a workforce here who are under a lot of pressure. So some of the things around the NCA review, around New Zealand history in schools, we still want to do those things. We're still absolutely committed to them. But our timetables might have to be a bit less ambitious um, because the people who are going to need to do that work have had to pick up a whole lot of other work mm. as a result of COVID-19. Education Minister Chris Hipkins. The move to Level 2 is good news for many businesses, but the tough times are far from over. We're going to have reaction throughout Q&A tonight. First, from one of our best-known tourist attractions. Hi, I'm Russell Alexander, the CEO of the Hobbiton Movie Set here in Metamata. Obviously, with today's announcement, it's exciting. We've gone to Level 2. Uh, we can get regional travel going. Um, so we look to open, definitely on the 30th of May was always our plan. Whether we can go earlier than that, we'll have to review today's announcements. We're going to be looking to do um, more intimate tours. Um, you know, the modelling we did was at only 7% of our previous capacity. So, you know, with lots of buses and vans, um, it's going to be a relatively easy exercise for us to remodel things, if you like, for these intimate tours and hopefully even better experiences than we had in the past without there was a which we'd love to have back, of course, all our international tourists. So, um, yeah, the Kiwis are hopefully have some really nice experiences over the coming months, or it might be a little bit longer than even the coming months, but, yeah, it's going to be good to be back in business. Hobbiton looks a picture, doesn't it? Next on Q&A, Nationals' Paul Goldsmith, ahead of this week's big budget. What would he do if he was Finance Minister? And Level 2, how do you do? We're really excited that we're going to Level 2 on Thursday. Level 4 was pretty tough. Hawke Mayanor, welcome back to Q&A. The economic pain from the coronavirus is yet to fully take effect. With the budget just a couple of days away, Nationals Finance spokesperson Paul Goldsmith has released a five-point response plan. He acknowledges coronavirus will cost New Zealand tens of billions of dollars. But how much debt would National take on? And what about those tax cuts the opposition had planned? I began by asking Paul Goldsmith for his reaction to today's decision. Yeah, look, I think uh, everybody will be pleased to be getting back to uh, closer to their normal lives. Um, obviously, we've got a long way to go. You had suggested uh, the government should have relaxed some of its rules around business operations earlier. To be clear, does, does that mean you would have explicitly ignored the advice of health officials and the Director General of Health who said we needed to have the restrictions in place? Well, look, I just I think the important thing was to be asking the question not so much what can't we do, but what can we do? Mm. And, you know, I think we all agreed that it was important to uh, go into the lockdown at the start. And then, uh, but with each passing week, we saw uh, Australia, for example, have a, uh, a lot of parts of their economy open. Uh, and so we should be asking ourselves the question every week, uh, what more can we do? And so I'm pleased that the government's uh, finally moving. Uh, we, we would have probably moved faster. Uh, I want to turn our attention to Thursday's budget. Before this kicked off, of course, uh, government debt was at about 20% of GDP. I've been speaking with economist Cameron Bagri. He thinks that our debt is headed to 45 or 50% of GDP by 2022. Would you be comfortable with that level of debt? 
Well, look, obviously we are going to take on more debt. Uh, but the thing that everybody is aware of is that it has to be repaid, ultimately. Uh, and so we want to uh, keep it as low as we can. And it's impossible to tell uh, what the size of it will be uh, right now because we don't know the extent of the damage. We know that we're going into an economic hole. And so the, the real priority is to try and reduce the damage as much as we can and then uh, get the economy growing so we can get out of it. Just remember that, you know, during the GFC and the Canterbury earthquakes, uh, the national government borrowed about $50 billion, and we got on top of it uh, with good, sound economic mm. management, and we believe we can do that again. What we don't want to see is what, uh, you know, could be a $50, $60 billion crisis turning into a $100 billion crisis if we don't manage it well, and we uh, also do a lot of wasteful spending. Okay, F 50 or or $60 billion of debt is significantly different to 45 or 50% of GDP. I mean, that sort of figure, we're looking at the $150, right. $160 billion worth of debt. So, so with the economic data you have available yeah. as of this minute and the fiscal projections, uh, projections you have seen, would you be comfortable, yes or no, with 45% GDP net debt? No, I wouldn't want to see that at all if we could possibly avoid it. Uh, and the key to avoiding that level of debt is to get out of lockdown as quickly as we can, you know, recognising that we've, we're going into level mm. two at the moment, but that's still uh, nowhere near opening up the economy. I mean, it's all very well being able to open up your cafe, but if you, if you can't operate in a way that you can do it profitably, uh, then you're still no further ahead. So uh, we've got a lot of work to do to open up that economy. We also need to try and reduce the damage in terms of business collapses by getting getting uh, some cash into those businesses that really need it. And, you know, there's, there's a whole sort of series of things that we need to do to get the economy growing quickly to reduce the damage. You acknowledge, though, that we are in the hole for at least 40 or $50 billion. So how do we pay for this? Well, uh, as I said, you know, we've demonstrated in the past that if you get a good, strong, this is a different, economy, different sort of crisis, you can work though, your way out of it. Uh, it, it looks as though it could be uh, bigger, and so the critical thing is to try and reduce the damage now. And that's why, you know, you want to get uh, that, that one-metre world operating well. If, you know, if, if we're operating at 50% mm. productivity for the rest of the year, we're going to do a lot of damage. Uh, if we go about it in a pragmatic, uh, nimble way and allow people to do everything they possibly can to get their businesses back up and running, save as many jobs as we can, then uh, we can reduce the damage. And then we have to focus on growing the economy. And I, you know, I fundamentally believe that's a about uh, private sector investment. Uh, that's what really drives growth, backed by a government that's investing in good quality infrastructure. Uh, so where, where we could make a lot more debt for ourselves is if the government uh, massively increased entitlements uh, and spent money on poor quality infrastructure, you know, widening footpaths because Julian Gentle wants to and a whole lot of other things which don't actually make the economy grow faster. Would you extend the wage subsidy? Well, I think there, what needs to happen is uh, that uh, those businesses most directly affected uh, need more assistance. Uh, our suggestion is uh, not more debt uh, to those businesses, but actually getting some cash in the hands of the small businesses that are really struggling, uh, so like they have in Australia. Mm. That, that, I think, is the best thing you can do. This is, this is your and then, GST then of course, No, actually, the best thing you can do is allow them to get back to work, and then the second thing is to get some more cash into their hands. I, I just want to be really clear. Should the government extend the wage subsidy this Thursday? Uh, if they're not getting cash into the hands of businesses, which is our preferred model, uh, they, they should have some wage subsidy to right. those businesses most directly affected. But it needs to be more tight than the, you know, than the original scheme, which was quite broad. Are tax cuts off the table? 
I think in the short term, uh, we will be struggling with a significant tax cut. But, uh, you know, I think it comes down to uh, maintain, uh, you know, getting on top of the scale of the debt that we're dealing with. And if we can try and keep that to manageable levels, then New Zealanders can get back on track quickly. If we allow it to get out of control, then uh, we would be facing big the tax increases if this Labor government tax, stayed in next the year. The tax cuts you were planning, though, the tax cuts you were planning... Um, before this COVID-19 crisis, those are off the table for the time being, given the unique fiscal circumstances. Well, we've already signalled that we would be um, reducing the company taxes in terms of investment. We really need the, you know, some, a lot of companies are struggling, but some will have got through this in reasonable shape. Sure. And in order to get the economy growing, we want those businesses to invest. And so we've signalled that we'd want to uh, increase the threshold so that companies could invest more. No so there will be uh, opportunities no for cuts? that to happen. Well, I'm not, I'm not going to rule anything out at the moment. Uh, we'll, let's wait and see. We're going to see some figures in the next two or three days. And then the critical thing will be how uh, the government manages it through in the next few months to reduce the damage and get New Zealanders back to work. You told us uh, that unlocking private investment is part of your uh, five-point economic recovery plan. Does that include overseas investment, or should we indeed impose restrictions on overseas investment? Uh, look, right throughout the history of New Zealand, uh, we have imported capital. Uh, if you want to, you know, ultimately, it's, it's private sector investment that leads to growth. And if you want to rely purely on domestic savings, yes, uh, you'll grow a bit more slowly. If you want to grow more quickly, you need to import capital from overseas, as we always have. New Zealanders have rightly been worried about uh, too much of their land going off uh, to overseas ownership, and we've got some tough rules there. But I do think we should be open to people uh, from all countries investing in good quality businesses and growing those businesses in order for New Zealanders to have more opportunities to get work. I think we're seeing some pretty... Uh, um, you know, pretty hostile stuff coming out of Winston Peters, as we always have. In the wake of 2008, National ramped up immigration uh, during its time in government. When we can let people in safely, would you support doing the same thing again? Oh, well, National has always been a party in favour of good, uh, good immigration policy so that we can get the workers that we need to do the work that we need to do in this country and also to bring in skills and, and hard-working migrants. Uh, so we will continue to do that. Uh, it's going to be a while before those numbers come through at the same level. And we've always got to be mindful of the ability of uh, the big cities particularly to cope uh, with growing population mm. in terms of infrastructure. So uh, over the last few years, had a real uh, dichotomy between uh, Aucklanders who have felt uh, that the city is under pressure and the rest of the country desperate for workers. Uh, and so uh, over the next couple of years, we'll have to work through uh, this you know, difficult period where we'll find a lot of New Zealanders are out of work and we need to focus on getting them into work first. But there will still be a need for particular skills to be brought in for the economy, you know, including an infrastructure and all the sorts of work that we need to do. Sometimes we need to bring people in from overseas and we should be able to do that. That is National's Finance spokesperson Paul Goldsmith. With more on the move to Level 2, we asked the team at a famous Wellington cafe, will fewer restrictions keep them in business? I'm John Pennington and along with my wife we own the Chocolate Fish Cafe in Wellington. We're really excited that we're going to Level 2 on Thursday. Uh, we, le level 4 was pretty tough. Uh, we took the wage subsidy. We had uh, managed to keep uh, everybody on. And uh, then going down to level three, we did the um, uh, pick up and collect. 
with our container. And then on Thursday we're going to level two and uh, that'll present a few problems, uh, but we can work our way through them. This single server is something we're not used to, but uh, um, I'm sure it'll be pretty easy to adapt. And while we uh, won't be at 100% and uh, there will probably not be the same quickness with our food, um, we, uh, I think we can do it quite easily. So relief for some cafe owners, but bar owners are frustrated they won't be able to open until Thursday of next week. We will discuss that with our panel shortly. In the meantime, send us your thoughts. We're on Twitter at NZQ&A. You can post on our Facebook page or email us at Q&A at tvnz.co.nz. That panel will be with us after the break. And as we prepare for the budget, how are we going to pay back all of this debt? I think we're going to need to make some pretty tough decisions in regard to some of those... Uh, there's sacred cows we don't want to talk about, you know, the likes of raising retirement age, or sorry, now that one needs to get done. Getting to this position early has saved jobs and businesses, but there is a long road ahead to full recovery. And things will continue to be very, very tough before they get better. That is Prime Minister Jacinda Ardern announcing the move to Level 2 today. Let's bring in our panel, NZ Me Head of Business, Fran O'Sullivan, and Auckland Councillor Efeso Collins. Kia ora kōrua. Efeso, I will start with you this evening. Has the government got the decision right? I think they have got it right. I think the nation has been chomp chomping at the bit a little bit just to just to get out, be able to, to re-engage with people, to break a few bubbles and connect with others. I'm not sure, though, that we people feel completely safe. There's going to be quite a bit of adjustment, but as far as the economy is concerned, I think businesses are dying to get back out there and be able to uh, retrieve and, and repair a lot of what's been broken. Yeah, given the, given the case numbers uh, we have been recording and given the general public appetite for a bit more freedom, Fran, do you think the Prime Minister had any other option but to move us to Level 2 this quickly? Oh, she very much had to move to level two. One, because, you know, the um, virus has been suppressed and contained to a large degree. You couldn't say otherwise. But also because they've got a budget this week, they have to swing the rhetoric from suppressing the virus, uh, being focused on mm -hmm. health, and very much start to embrace the real needs of business, the, the fact that many people are already impoverished in the economy. Uh, you just saw today with 700 jobs going from Sky City. Well, that's just the tip of the iceberg. There'll be a number of other big companies who will also be slashing jobs in weeks to come. So really they have to um, give a sense that mm. they're there for the economy and they're there for people through this budget. And um, it'll just be as uh, it's interesting, Grant Robertson has adopted uh, the rhetoric of his predecessors and said there'll be a rolling mall. And that's exactly what this government's going to have to do, much as they did after the GFC. They're going to have to stagger out stimulus for quite some time to come. Afiso, I want to get your thoughts on Thursday's budget in a moment as well. But very quickly, let's have a look at the Level 2 rules because there are two things I can see causing consternation at the moment. The first is that funerals and tangi are still uh, only allowed to have 10 people in attendance. And, of course, bars are being delayed in that they cannot open until Thursday of next week. Um, what do you make of, of those additional restrictions? I see them as being really separate at the moment. I know that it's it's difficult for families in really deep, deeply sad times to not be able to get together to farewell your loved ones. And we've seen stories um, of people over the last few weeks who just who feel like they've just been dis 
and unable to, to get yeah. near family. Yeah. So that's been really tough on them. The bar situation, I think, is a little bit different. I still think they want a health focus. They want to make sure that people are doing their best not to, to congregate too closely together. That's always going to be hard. So I understand that they're having to make these rules. I think there's a there's a bit of uh, water to go under the bridge here as far as bars are concerned, because the last thing we want is the Korean situation or the German situation where they opened up the gates again and then... Uh, we saw an increase in the number of cases. So I think they've got to take these these precautions. Yeah, you get the sense that there are a few Kiwis out there itching to get a bit loose. But I suppose that th those are two environments, Fran, where the government can foresee people wanting to be close to each other. I just would have thought that, that you know, at, at funerals or at tangi, at least people are sober and are perhaps uh, more aware of, of the physical distancing requirements. Well, at least um, during the funeral, I wouldn't be to many an aftermatch funeral where people were not sober at all and um, over the years. So I think, you know, that's very much a release of emotion. And, mm -hmm. um, you know, if you're talking about bars, I mean, the whole nature of a bar really is for people to be elbow to elbow. I mean, the, the notion of physical distancing in a bar is, mm -hmm. is quite extraordinary to me. But however... Um, there's got to be some way that, where people can go out and have a drink with friends and um, be able to do it in a safe way. But I do feel on the story of the tangi and the funerals, and she did say that they'd review in a couple of weeks. And, you know, as long as everyone's mm. pretty disciplined about it, it does sound as if the numbers allowed uh, in each instance will be, will be uh, increased. So Grant Robertson, the finance minister, has described the response as a rolling mall. What does he have to get right this Thursday, Fran? I think the big um, conundrum that Grant Robertson faces is, I mean, he's very much itching to get on with his own agenda. And it's a progressive agenda, um, deals with the future of work and a range of um, issues that uh, is dear to his heart and that he started this policy progression, if you like, in um, opposition. But there's also the economy as it stands. And to me, that really has to be the priority. One of the big issues is confidence and a need for clarity from business, um, small business and large business. So the government, you know, we've heard before on the microphone and also from um, Paul Goldsmith talking about the can-do. Uh, but to do the can-do, you do need to have some fairly firm mm. ideas of when conditions are going to change. And I think in some ways this has been the weakness of the government's approach. Um, you know, around the business community, hearing a bit of um, saying today that people would like to know an assurance from the Prime Minister and Grant Robertson and the Cabinet that they will never go back to level four or even three again, that they will, if there is an outbreak, they will corral that outbreak. They'll make sure that we have sensible testing and tracing in part and that we've, we've kind of gone past that phase so that then they can plan, they can put, put people on, they can keep people on. But what um, basically uh, concerns a lot of people is if this gets out of hand even slightly, wham, we're back in level three and four again and it makes business very hard to... Um, you know, just keep going. Frankly. Wouldn't it? Wouldn't it be unrealistic, though, for, for for the prime minister to make that kind of promise, given what we have seen in other countries? I think of the likes of uh, South Korea or Singapore, where they have had to reintroduce restrictions. Do you think perhaps a, a happy medium could be uh, if the prime minister, the government, or health officials were to give us a certain number to 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 to, to say if we had you know a community spread with 15 people um, infected, then that would be reason to move back up to another level. 
Yeah, I'm not so certain about that because if you'll recall earlier in this whole progression, they were talking then that we might see regional lockdowns or something like that. I think we've got to be very careful about knocking the whole nation off its business perch mm. uh, simply because you might get an outbreak in one area. And I think the onus is on, if you make that kind of pledge, the onus is on you to make sure that that the Ministry of Health and everybody is investing large in the health system to make sure we are tracking and stamping out this virus because it's going to be, you know, with us for a very long time. So yeah. I don't think you can just throw it to the community. I think you've got to be very, very tough. Afiso, what are you looking out for in the budget? I think we're going to be looking for what's going to be the sustainable economic growth. What are we going? What's Grant Robertson going to be able to uh, advance? Where we're going to see more jobs created? We're going to be able to see businesses keep their jobs. We've got to rethink how we go about doing the economy again. Look, there's been—he's already hinted at a, a universal uh, basic income. But we've got to see, look, there was a report that was just released by the Oxford uh, Economic School talking about how the sustainable jobs are the way to go. Where's that area of innovation that we can get to? We've got great things happening out here in South Auckland, the, the Southern Initiative, the Cause Collective doing great things. But that's where you've got to start operating. Where's the innovation? We're not going to be doing things normally as before. Sure, we've got to to. to hempen down and make sure that we've got good structures economically but we've got to look beyond what we've got at the moment because mm. we've got to look towards a new green sustainable economy. Afisal how much of a test is Thursday for Simon Bridges? I thought it was interesting to consider his comments this evening which to me at least were much more circumspect than on a couple of occasions in the COVID-19 response. Yeah, I get the impression that Simon Bridges has realised that he's probably got to take a more stately approach to the way in which he's going to be the opposition leader. He's, I think he's been challenged because he's had the attack mode and that's been the strategy that he's used. But I think New Zealanders over the last eight mm. weeks have wanted to him to rise above that, to ask searching, probing questions and be an intelligent force of opposition. So I think today's comments probably showed that he's aware that that's not the kind of game uh, plan that he should be leading as, as leader of the opposition. Fran, when do we start talking about how we pay for this, how we pay off these tens of billions of dollars in debt? Look, I think that track has to be laid out um, pretty quickly. And, you know, a lot of this, if you actually dig down into Treasury's own books going back many years now, and they've talked about the long-term fiscal situation of, of um, New Zealand, and the previous government's uh, approach was to try and use growth, immigration and that to grow out of the situation we're in. That may not be so easy uh, when we're going to see a huge loss of jobs, businesses right across the economy because of the international health situation and the fact that we're in a global recession. Uh, and so I think in that respect, you've got to, you've got to actually start tackling some of those uh, costs. You've got to tackle uh, the weight of superannuation. You might look at surtaxes, that again. Uh, you might even look, if, if things got really um, tricky, you might actually look at pulling the plug on the super fund and um, just paying your way out. Now, that's, um, you know, that's a bit over the top, but, you know, there are options there. There are options to um, invest uh, and bring it in from offshore. I think we have an opportunity to build that and then to, you know, sort of build on it. If you're talking about the green industry, export of hydrogen, that type of thing. And, you know, there's just so many opportunities sitting there, but we've got to be able to embrace them and we've got to be able to embrace capital either within or without uh, the economy and also embrace people 
who have got ideas, let them have a seat at the table. And that's what they're, I'm just sort of picking up and through what I've been writing and who I've mm. been talking to and all the many numerous <laughs> webinars I've been on in the last couple of weeks with all sorts of small groups who have actually had great ideas. And, and, and there's a thirst for that. And this has to be unleashed to some degree so, you know, that you can actually get a flowering of new growth in the economy. Mm. Just get those green shoots moving. They won't be huge, however, in the short term. So, you know, some big calls also have to be made. Afiso, are you similarly optimistic? Yeah, I think we're, we're, we're heading in a new direction. Look, I think it's going to take real bold leadership for the government to set a new platform. And I think that's going to be what, where we can judge them, because it's important that they say, this is what the economy is going to look like. This is what the new New Zealand's going to look like. If we just go back to what we had and try and find a sense of normalcy, then I don't think we're doing anyone any favours at all. Official Collins and Fran O'Sullivan. Tēnā kōrua. Thanks for your time. Well, shops can open at Level 2, but with some restrictions in place. So will they be swamped by Kiwis itching for retail therapy or a haircut? I'm Kelly Oliver, and I'm the owner of Head Start Hair Design. So this afternoon, my team and I were just so super excited to know that we're going to be moving to le Alert Level 2. Um, they're all just so excited to hear from clients and to be in touch and start to you know, connect with people again. They've all missed one another so much. And our clients are super excited. We've had phone calls and texts and emails all within the last little while. We've been really fortunate because we were able to access the subsidy immediately, and that's just been a lifeline for us. Um, you know, I'm super grateful to the government for having that available. It, um, it, was, it was amazing to have something to give my team. And I said all along that I you know, wanted to get to the end of this with no redundancies, and we've, we've made that. So, yeah, I'm very grateful to the government for that. Yeah, and I'm sure there will be many Kiwis grateful for a haircut in the coming weeks. There may be more relief for businesses like that one in the budget on Thursday. Where will the government focus its spending, and what difference will it make? Kia ora te whanau, welcome back. The budget will be released at 2 o'clock on Thursday and it's likely to be one for the record books. As well as plans for government borrowing and spending, Treasury will give us their latest fiscal forecasts. I asked economist Cameron Bagri just how bad the books are likely to be. Well, in one word, terrible. Yeah, government debt or net government debt is going to go from about $70 billion to I think up around $170 billion. And odds are... It's going to get worse as the years sort of move on. Yeah, we're going to see fiscal deficits around $30 billion, I think, in the next fiscal year. The government bond tender program, that's how much they're going to be borrowing next year. It's probably going to be up around $40 billion. So the sort of numbers we have not seen in my, certainly my uh, working lifetime for New Zealand. Where do you expect the government's spending will be focused? Well, initially, uh, a lot of money has gone out the door in regard to support. You know, the wage subsidy has been very expensive, but it's kept a, a lot of people into paid work. Of course, the million-dollar question is, uh, are they going to extend it? Would there be a slight modification? Uh, my personal view would be to make it a loan scheme as opposed to a handout scheme. And then, of course, we're going to need to see a lot more support for people that are going to be on the job seeker benefit. Look, by my calculations, I think there's going to be another at least $5 billion the next five years spent on people on the job seeker benefit. We're going to have to have some sort of stimulus package of some shape or form. There's various other initiatives that are getting rolled out. 
How are we going to pay for this? Well, that's, that's the million-dollar question on the other side. You know, I guess you've got a, a number of options because borrowing today, we're putting a tax or a liability on the next generation. Now, the options are asset sales. Uh, are we going to go down the route, that route? Well, politically, there's, there's no way. A spending restraint. Now, there's different levels of sort of spending restraint. We saw what happened in the early 1990s. We don't want to go down that route. But if you, if you tighten the spending belt, you're not critically investing in education, health. Another option is, is tax increases. Look, I think at some stage that is going to be inevitable. I think we're going to need to make some pretty tough decisions in regard to some of those uh, the sacred cows we don't want to talk about. Yeah, likes of raising retirement age. Well, sorry, uh, that one needs to get done. Uh, but the easiest one, or the, well, it's not the easiest one, but the, but the one that will be ideal was just make the economy grow faster. If the economy's doing well, we're paying more tax, and that blow in the fiscal position is going to take care of itself. But, of course, it's easier said than done to get a whole lot of magical growth out of this on the other side. Any surprises this Thursday? No, I don't think there's going to be any surprises because I think things, generally speaking, are still pretty well up in the air. You know, but what I think is most important, that we have, I guess, semblances of the idea of what the economic plan is going to be. You know, give a little bit of hope in regard to what's going to be there on the other side. You know, my personal hope is that we ditch some of the political ideology for the greater good. My fear is that we won't. Cameron Bagri, and Cameron will be joining me for a One News Budget special this Thursday from 2 o'clock. Finance Minister Grant Robertson will be announcing what is likely to be his most important budget. You can watch it here live on TVNZ1. Now, during the course of the pandemic response, we've been giving businesses and organisations a chance to tell their stories and speak directly with policymakers about what they need to get back to business. Just like many Kiwi SMEs, charities have been doing it tough during COVID-19. Uh, hey guys, my name's Eddie. Uh, I manage the service operations for Orange Sky New Zealand. Uh, what Orange Sky is, is we provide free washing and showers in our mobile vans. And we go all around the communities, uh, mainly in Auckland and Wellington at the moment, uh, providing this to our friends on the street, but also to families uh, that might be in need of uh, access to a free wash or free shower. Due to lockdown level three, we've had to reduce some of our shifts, um, mainly because uh, our volunteers, uh, obviously some of the older generation might not be able to volunteer at this time, or people have their own bubbles to think about as well. At the moment, we're doing nine shifts a week um, across Auckland and Wellington, uh, but that's, that's operating at probably about 70% of, of what we usually try to aim for. To get back to business for us, we just, we're just uh, looking for volunteers that can take those van out to those people that are, that, that are in need at this time. The need's never been greater than, than it has been now. Um, just constantly getting emails from, from different groups and organisations and, and people that are doing it tough. So the more volunteers we have, the more shifts we can do. So if anyone has two hours a week or a fortnight that they, they have spare, um, just jump on board onto our, our website, orangesky.org.nz. Let us know if you have a back-to-business message that you want to share. After the break, we'll have your feedback on tonight's show. Hoki Mayanoa, welcome back to Q&A. Your feedback now on moving to alert level two and the economy. Anna Foster posted, pumped for level two. Feels like the government has done the right thing and listened to experts all the way. Feel lucky to be in Aotearoa and ready to support local as we move into economic recovery. Sue Reid posted on our Facebook page, yes, a long road. Try getting stock from Auckland to your business at the bottom of the South Island. Stock is not moving and couriers are swamped. Charles tweeted, there is only one real issue here. One virus gets out, 
and we're stuffed. The economy can recover, but dead people don't tend to. And on our interview with Education Minister Chris Hipkins, Melanie tweeted, teacher burnout is a definite possibility, so I'm really pleased to hear Minister Hipkins announce he has no plans to change term dates. May workload is different, but still difficult teaching from home. Kua mutu. That is Q&A for this week. Thanks for watching. Nā mihi ki a koutu i ngā karere. Thanks for your contributions. Do not forget, we will have a live budget special for you on TVNZ1 this Thursday at 2 o'clock. Until then, thanks to the Q&A team. Hei tērā wiki. We will see you next Monday evening at 9.25. Q&A is made with the support of New Zealand On Air.